are listening to Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello everybody and welcome. You have tuned in to the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet. This is Linux in the Hamshack, and this is episode number 414, which is a short topics episode. And in our short topics episode, we cover things from the amateur radio world, the open source world, and then we fuse them together in what we call Linux in the Hamshack, our main segment, which you'll hear a little bit later on. But before we get to all that, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD. All right. And in the tradition, at least lately, of talking about utes on the air, we have a lead topic tonight, which has to do with young hams. And uh, Bill's going to tell us all about it. That's right. These are nominations ending for Amateur Radio Newsline's Young Ham of the Year Award. The deadline to nominate a deserving young radio amateur for the 2021 Bill Pasternak WA6ITF Amateur Radio Newsline Young Ham of the Year Award is just days away. If you know an outstanding licensed amateur radio uh, radio amateur under the age of 18 in the U.S., Canada, or any of the U.S. positions, please download the nominating form from our website. Complete it and email it back to newsline at arnewsline.org prior to midnight Eastern time on Monday, May 31st. The award presentation will be held at the Huntsville, Alabama Ham Fest on Saturday, August 21st. We sincerely hope you, to see you and your young ham there. And, of course, that came from Don Wilbanks, uh, AE5DW of Amateur Radio Newsline. So get your nominations in. And, obviously, the folks down at the Huntsville Ham Fest are really committed to the fact that they are going to have an in-person ham fest this year. So... Let's uh, hope that actually happens. We'll see how it goes. I mean, it is, you know, what, mid-August, so got some time. So as long as there's not some big COVID kerfuffle between now and then, it should be a thing. And then we can all gear up for Hamvention 2022. Yikes. <laughs> so anyway, moving on to amateur radio topics. Well, another amateur radio topic, actually. We have new electromagnetic exposure limits in the U.K., Ofcom have published their final decision on changes to the Wireless Telegraphy Act, licenses requiring all Spectrum users, including all radio amateurs, to comply with the ICNIRP, the ICNIRP, <laughs> in our new tradition of pronouncing weird letters together. Uh, general public limits on EMF, uh, on EMF exposure. EMF, yeah. <laughs> Compliance is required after November 18th, 2021 for frequencies above 110 megahertz. After the 18th of May, 2022 for frequencies above 10 megahertz, but below 110 megahertz. And after 18 November, 2022 for frequencies below 10 megahertz. More information can be found on their webpage. You can find information on compliance and enforcement, the policy and an Excel based calculator to help you evaluate your setup. And this of course is Ofcom which means it affects you folks who are over in the, the UK. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, Ofcom and the Rizguba, uh are where this came from, and you can find 
more info on the stories, the original stories, which will be linked in the show notes. So check that out and uh, be aware of this going forward over there in the United Kingdom. Let's see. Let's get Cheryl in here to read this thing about the FCC. Okay, so our next little topic here is amateurs' email addresses will stay private, according to the FCC. Starting on June 29th, all applications filed with the FCC must include an email address for FCC correspondence. After receipt of the initial announcement that all future applications would require an email address, ARRL was concerned for the privacy of its members and requested that amateurs' email addresses not be made public. This week, the FCC agreed, stating in an email to ARRL Council that it will continue to mask amateurs' email addresses from public view in the universal licensing system. The FCC will use the email address supplied by amateurs to correspond with applicants, including to send a link to the official electronic copy of the license when an application is granted. And this information came from the ARRL. Well, the information came from the FCC. Well, it was reported, it was reported right. <laughs> yeah. To, yeah, and that's where we got the information from was the ARRL. So. Right. Absolutely. ARRL, almost as good as Southgate at creating news. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, very good. So they're going to keep the email addresses obfuscated in the database. That's good. Of course, you just go on to qrz.com and you can see all the email addresses you want. <laughs> Don't you have to log in in order to say it, though? Yes. Yeah, so but, you have to but log it's in, yeah. free login, so, I mean, how's any, you know? <laughs> well, I, but you can't, you can't as a, as just somebody going out trolling for email addresses, I think you actually have to have a call sign yeah, approved. Yeah, you have, you have to, to log get... in to QRZ, right? Which I don't right. know, I mean... Have you, has anyone tried to fake logging into QRZ? I'm sure they have, right? No, I haven't. So, so. Well, no, not you. Uh, well, <laughs> would, would anybody that listens to us go, you know, I should try to fake log in, even though I've got yeah, a license. Let's create a yeah. fake login over there, QRZ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and off goes Bill. Yeah. And scrape the database and get all those email addresses, right? And put them into right, our yeah. mailing list. Right, well, most exactly. people that are listed as ARRL members have, of course, their call sign at ARRL.net as their email address, so they can feel free to spam away. Whether or not they actually <laughs> read that address, you know, that's a different story. So, because <laughs> I sure don't read mine. <laughs> Maybe I should. Maybe there's something actually in there. I don't know. There's a there's a forward. <laughs> it's a forward. It's not a real email address. Yeah, I was so. here. So. Oh, okay. I, I <laughs> so, yeah, no. That's how up to date I am on the the RL. RL. The RL, yeah. <laughs> so speaking of uh, acronyms, uh, Bill's going to tell us about roars. Roars. Yeah, I found this uh, a local story, uh, figure from a different news source, and this uh, proclaims that May is Roars Month. Uh, ham radio operators in Ramona are being recognized for their dedication to emergency communications by the County Board of Supervisors, who proclaimed May as Ramona Outback Amateur Radio Society or Roars Month. Uh, the honor presented by Supervisor Joel Anderson describes how Roars was founded in 1989 by the then president of the Ramona Municipal Water District and then chief of the Ramona Fire Department. The two were concerned that Ramona could not rely on outside assistance during a regional disaster and depended on radio repeaters and telephone systems, which could potentially fail. The two agencies decided amateur radio operators were needed for local emergency communications and in September of 1990, Roars was incorporated. Roars still maintains emergency communications skills with local self-contained solar-powered fixed and mobile radio systems and has training and regular practice. 
the proclamation, uh, the, procl- uh, the proclamation states. <laughs> I don't know why that was so hard to say. Uh, Roars has a quote. Roars has expanded beyond these capabilities to provide Ramona with additional community benefits and education in the world of technology and radio communication. Unquote. The document states. Roars President Steve Stipp said that the club members were more than a little touched by the month-long dedication to their group. And this came from the Ramona Sentinel. So there you go. Totally different news source for uh, for amateur radio uh, today. Oh, very good. It's always nice when you can find new places to get stories from that haven't been co-opted by Southgate. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, that's right. The cat's out of the bag now, so that's the last story you'll get from them. <laughs> All right, so that's it for our straight-up amateur radio topics for tonight, so let's move on over to open source. And I did see the email come in about this one, so... I'm going to, I think, Bill, you might have some some editorializing to do on this, but I'll read the story first because uh, I know you've been following Reddit because <laughs> that's what you do. <laughs> yes. First open source topic Freenode no longer community run. Staff moves to Libera chat or Libra chat, probably something like that. Why this is important, colon. Freenode is an IRC network that hosts chat rooms for large parts of the open source community. Yes, and we use it actually. It's difficult to overstate its importance, even though IRC is no longer on Vogue. It's not? I thought IRC was, was truly Vogue. There are some <laughs> people who do, who do nothing but IRC and swear they will never use anything else. You know, screw all that Matrix and Discord and, uh, you know, whatever other ones are. What happened? Freenode had lasted decades on a fairly informal organization. Servers are provided by volunteers or sponsors. Freenode is not a company. No staff is paid. At some point, a Freenode limited company was founded, which, for example, managed conferences. Aside from holding the Freenode.net domain name, it had no involvement. Recently, the owner of this company started to make legal threats against the actual volunteer staff. Staff is folding and is currently in the process of migrating their service to the newly founded Libra chat. Don't know if there's a future for Freenode, but we'll see. So, Bill, have you been... Reading through the Reddit discussion, anything else you need to to add to this? Uh, not really to add. Um, it's just yeah, it's it's obviously a very uh, <laughs> fluid <laughs> issue. <laughs> so uh, I haven't been over and and, and try connecting to the other server and and set things up over there either. But uh, um, I guess we're just gonna wait and see for our particular channel uh, whether we do anything specific with that and whether or not uh, Freenode ceases to exist, which I haven't heard that yet, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, things start uh, to break or net split out and never come back. So uh, <laughs> we'll just keep our, keep our eyes on things. Yeah, and I can't remember the name of the software that Freenode runs on, the IRC server. Um, I was running it for a bit, but I can't remember what it's called. Um, and I don't know if Libra chat is using the same software, so it'll just be a different network of the same kind of servers or if it'd be something completely different. So, yeah. And it's, uh, I guess it's, is it Libero chat, Libera chat, Libera. I, I was trying to put the E in there when I said Libera, like Libera chat. Yeah. Libera, I don't know if it's supposed to be li- Libera, Libera. Libera. It's probably like Libera for like liberate. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Something like that. That sounds almost like it. Like that would be right. Liberate. I like that. <laughs> Liber. Yeah. Just a silent CH. <laughs> Liberate. <laughs> All right. So anyway, uh, we'll keep everybody abreast on that. And if something changes where our hosting of the 
uh, Octothorpe LHS podcast channel goes somewhere else, uh, we'll, of course, make sure everybody's aware of that. So, Cheryl, you want to read the story about System 76? Sure. Okay, cool. Okay. So, there is a new open source keyboard from System 76 called Launch. It is their first product compatible with Linux, Windows, and Mac OS. And keeping with their ethos, design files are readily available for anyone to view, learn from, and modify. The accompanying software configure, configurator has also been made public. Launch's firmware is based on open source QMK firmware. Updates can only be initiated by the user and are available through POP, OS firmware settings, and LVFS. When your firmware is updated, your keyboard LEDs will flash unlocked, notifying you that the firmware is being changed. Launch features a chassis milled out of solid block of aluminum, as well as custom PCB, uh, which is a printed circuit board. It's designed, engineered, and manufactured in Denver by a team of very particular keyboard nerds. After testing various configurations, they enjoyed and approved the final product unanimously. And this information came from System76. Straight from the horse's mouth. Excellent. <laughs> so, Yeah, so if you want an expensive keyboard. <laughs> which, which I don't. I have so many keyboards here, I can't even imagine having another one. But yeah, I don't I, know. I, sounds kind of fun. It's a $285 keyboard. But, oh, uh, oh, holy wow. smoke. <laughs> <laughs> but for those that appreciate a, a good uh, mechanical style keyboard, it uh, it definitely is going to feel quite nice and uh, probably satisfy uh, even the, the hardest uh, connoisseur's uh, need for the clicky, clicky, clicky in their keyboard. Yeah, I do. I do like a clicky keyboard, but I'm weird that way. <laughs> all right and since bill is going to probably prattle on a little bit in the linux and the hamstack segment i'm going to go ahead and read this one and it also sort of applies to me because i actually use a cpap so our last story in the open source world is why sleep apnea patients rely on a cpap machine hacker an australian hacker has spent thousands of hours hacking the drm that medical devices manufacturers put on cpap machines to create a free tool that lets patients modify their treatment you know i see why Someone might want to do this, but it's not necessarily a good idea to just randomly change your sleep apnea settings. I mean, uh, <laughs> I think you could really do some damage to yourself. But that being said, the free open source and definitely not FDA approved piece of software is a product of thousands of hours of hacking and development by Alarong, or alone, Australian developer named Mark Watkins, who has helped thousands of sleep apnea patients take back control of their treatment from overburdened and underinvested doctors. I wonder if that's an issue in Australia. I haven't really Socialized noticed Socialized medicine, right? <laughs> ration, yeah. Ration medicine, that's probably uh, where they have to wait, you know, six months for uh, them to get an update on their software. Yeah, could very well be. The software gives patients access to the sleep data that is already being generated by their CPAP machines, but generally remains inaccessible, hidden by proprietary data formats that can only be read by authorized users, i.e. doctors, on proprietary pieces of software that patients often can't buy or download. Sleepyhead and community-run forums, for, forums. Wow, there's a word. Forums like <laughs> CPAPTalk.com and ApneaBoard.com have allowed patients to circumvent medical device manufacturers who would prefer that the software not exist at all. Of course, because then they can't make money. <laughs> you just had. You just went through something where your CPAP had to be modified by a medical professional to get testing information for you. It would have been nice to you have 
you know, for you to have been able to see what it said. Yeah. yeah. It, well, I sort of can because it's part of my medical record. So I, I just have to ask for the record, but. Well, right. But you could have, you could have been able to call the doctor up instead of having to wait, for, you know, a week for them to get around to, you know, getting you the, the equipment to you know, blah, 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 blah. You could have called the doctor up and said, by the way, my CPAP is saying, blah, blah. What should I do? You know, instead of having to rely on somebody to come and modify your CPAP in order to get the readings. To, yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, we'll see where this goes and see how many people wind up in jail and what. <laughs> or dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, very cool story. So that's the end of open source for tonight. Well, not open source completely, but open source specific. And so we'll move into Linux in the ham shack and Bill is going to follow up on our deep dive from last week which was about WFView. We had a good interview with the developers over there at the WFView team. And uh, Bill has a radio, an IC7300, that is compatible with that project. And uh, apparently did some investigation into it. So tell us all about it. Yeah, so uh, so I, yeah, I was playing around with my toy laptop and uh, that had Garuda on it uh, that I couldn't get working. And I'm like, ah, well, maybe it's just the install, I did something wrong or something like that. So I said, ah, screw it. I'll, I'll put Ubuntu on there because it, it, it's a toy anyway. It doesn't have anything on there except for whatever I put on there. Um, so yeah, I put a Ubuntu uh, 2104 on there, uh, installed the software per the instructions. And of course it came up exactly the same way it did in Gruda and did not connect to the radio. <laughs> so I was like, ah, darn it. <laughs> uh, so I started playing around with the BOD settings and I realized that I had had the uh, rig USB controller set at uh, 19.2. And uh, so as soon as I set the software at 19.2, all of a sudden, boom, I got the rig control stuff was all popped in there. And then I'm like, ah, well, let me look at the, let me look at the manual. Oh boy. <laughs> oh, I need, to, I need to have that set at 115.2 or whatever. Yeah. 115.200 for uh for the waterfall to come through. So I changed it on the rig, uh, restarted the software and lo and behold, boom, waterfall. And I was like, Oh, okay. So this is neat. So then I started playing around with it and, uh, yeah, I was, uh, I was quite amazed with how fast, um, the, the readout of the rig was being uh, brought back and forth to the display. It was literally instant. Uh, you couldn't tell any difference whatsoever. Uh, between spinning the dial or uh, changing the frequency from the little mini dial you get on the interface that we talked about. Um, also noticed that they had the RIT button in there and a bunch of other stuff uh, that we had uh, talked about and that because uh, I pulled the uh, actual master branch. So they obviously uh, made some changes and stuff like that since uh, since we chatted and since I looked at the software um, prior to our uh, our deep dive. Uh, so yeah, so I got it all working and, uh, I didn't try sitting it into a uh, server mode or anything else like that. I didn't quite get that far into the project, but, uh, was, uh, pleasantly, uh, pleasantly surprised that, uh, everything was, uh, working as, as intended with, uh, no, uh, no errors being thrown out or anything else from the log, uh, even in debug mode, nothing was popping out odd or anything else like that. So I'm assuming it would have worked fine in, uh, Arch if I had a, played around the BOD settings a little earlier in my uh, testing. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, no problems whatsoever following the instructions and getting it to work on the 7300. Um, yeah, I, I don't know uh, what more I can say about it. It's uh, it's definitely cool <laughs> to be able to show that, and I definitely see the, the, the use case for having that 
uh, on the screen in, in large presence, uh, you know, especially when you're demonstrating uh, the station or, you know, if you're just having fun and you like having a, the dial and the waterfall being displayed somewhere else, uh, instead of looking right at the radio, it, uh, it's definitely a great little tool to use with these uh, uh, ICOM rigs with the, uh, the waterfall. So uh, it looks like you had some experimentation, too, you want to talk about. My experimentation was very short-lived because it just simply didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Which they kind of said it was going to not work, at least not right away. And I think part of the problem is that I use Rig Control D, and I know they talked about the fact that they were going to integrate with Rig Control D at some point, but I was not able to remember from the discussion if that is something they'd already done or if that was on the roadmap. And um, in either case, it was going to require going into the documentation and finding out if such a thing was possible and if so, how to do it. Um, I did stop Rig Control D on both of the radios and tried to connect just using the USB interfaces and uh, CIV and all that stuff and still couldn't get it to work. So more work is required on my part to figure it out. They did say the 7100 sort of like in beta or alpha or pre-alpha or what, whatever it is. It's it's one of those things because it's not one of the newer SDR-based ICs. We know they're working on it. Apparently, it just it doesn't work for me. There's probably something I could do to get it to work, but... That's uh, for future experimentation. Well, something to play with. Definitely check the baud settings. Make everything. Make sure everything is matchy matchy. That was definitely um, my hang up with uh, getting the basic communication because as soon as that was in there, then yeah, all the the rig control stuff was definitely present. Um, and I think they said the 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 interacting with uh, rig control D and stuff like that would come later. I think there's an ability for you to uh, to re-expose that that uh, serial port or whatever the serial interface or the control interface uh, as like a virtual device back to rig control D to attach to. So rig control D to attach after, after this piece of software. Does it always have to be in one, one fifteen two, no matter what? Uh, that's just for the waterfall display. Like I say, I was getting all the rig control stuff working at 19200. So, okay. Cause everything it, it, here is set for 96. So, so yeah. So as long as the rig set for 96 and, um, the software set for 9600, it should pass the uh, CIV stuff minimally. I don't remember seeing a place to set the BOD settings, so I'm going to have to go back in there and look at that. Obviously, that could be a problem. Yeah, <laughs> there's a drop-down right by the uh, the the port selection. Okay, yeah. Where it so says like auto and stuff sure. like that, yeah. So I noticed that kind of shifted around, because I think that BOD rate was in the next line, and now it's in the same line, at least in the interface right now. So it definitely has an impact on that uh, that USB connecting. All right. I will check that out. And uh, I'm sure we'll have more to report on both rigs and, and potentially other rigs going forward with uh, WFView as it continues to develop. So tell us about how you've fallen into and rapidly back out of love with Pipewire. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, You know, if, if running WFU on uh, Fedora and watching it segfault, uh, segfault every time <laughs> wasn't enough. Uh, yeah, I was, uh, trying to work a six meter opening today and I noticed that, uh, I wasn't getting any output to my, uh, to my, uh, SCU 17, which is the, the rig interface I have for audio for my FD450D. And uh, I thought something was amiss and I started messing around with the volume settings that I had set down because the SCU 17 kind of sucks. Uh, not, not as good as a, uh, as a signal link for this particular use. Um, but, uh, yeah, I jacked it all the way up and, uh, sure enough, I was still not getting any audio to the device. Um, 
So I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe there's an update or something like that. And maybe just it's gone wonky. So uh, I killed everything, did a DNF update. Of course, there were some pipe wire packages in there. And, uh, yeah, it still doesn't work. So uh, <laughs> so I missed the six-meter opening. And, uh, yeah, I was kind of kind of upset by uh, by that. So we'll see. I, I might be uh, uh, updating the, the shack box with something else. <laughs> <laughs> in the meantime. Go back to uh, Garuda instead of Fedora or something yeah, along those yeah. lines. Yeah, maybe. You know, I had Garuda on the, the little toy laptop, and um, I had the, the Dragonized edition like I tested before. And uh, I don't know if maybe it was just the glossy display that's on this laptop, but it just seemed like it was just too much eye candy. <laughs> it was almost distracting looking at everything. So I'm not sure I would actually use that, but um, I might consider it because I have a matte display uh, that I use on the Shack computer. So I don't think uh, I don't think I'd get some of that glowiness that I was seeing in the in the in the glossy display. Um, I'm sure people like that <laughs> with glossy displays. It just seemed like a, a bit much for uh, for my eyes. Uh, to uh to uh, look through and, and go go through all the data and stuff like that so um yeah we'll see i'll uh, i'll keep you all updated when i when i do that it, it probably will be this week uh possibly this weekend <laughs> so <laughs> there it is pipe wire hmm uh, <laughs> not not a huge fan at the moment uh although it runs fine on the uh the desk or my other computer here that i don't do any ham radio stuff on that i do discord and video calls i just got off a. Uh, uh, zoom call with it and yeah it works fine you know i had no problems at all with that so it might be just a specific uh issue with the wsjtx and its interface with the audio bus and stuff like that so i don't know exactly uh exactly what i can do to fix it if it's uh fixable and i don't know if i want to worry about trying to fix it so um yeah that's the nice part about uh backing up your user directory and stuff like that uh you can pretty much swap in and out systems pretty quickly <laughs> It's just a matter of installing all the software and then just having it point to the uh, CQR log database that's already built and everything else, and uh, it all comes up the way it was, so no big deal. Yeah, and I remember when you were talking about Fedora 34 and the fact that it used Pipewire that I asked specifically how the ham radio applications were handling the back-end audio. And you said, well, it's uh, shimmed into Pulse Audio or make, to make it look like it's Pulse Audio and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm wondering if it's maybe not so... Yeah, and I saw I saw another thing on uh, on Reddit. Of course, um, someone else was having issues with uh, some of the Pulse Audio uh, add-ons. I think it was Pulse Effects. I've used that in the past too, and apparently it's uh, it's having some intermittent issues with for some users uh, with being able to um, add uh, you know uh, audio processing effects to input and output devices on the fly. So. Uh, yeah, yeah. Who knows? I mean, it could be an early step, and you know, maybe this is just the uh, transitional pains of uh, of moving over. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll still uh, I'll still keep it on the the main laptop here, and uh, kind of keep track of it. And and who knows? Maybe uh, maybe it'll uh, smooth out the rough edges. Pretty cool. And I just threw in here that I wanted to talk uh, for maybe thirty seconds about JS eight call instead of having my computer during the day just kind of sitting on. FT8 and hitting a contact or two just as they sort of pop up on my screen. I figured I would just have JS8 call open instead after I finally got it working and actually understanding where my rigs were and rig control and getting all that put together. 
Um, I've, I've sent out a couple of like heartbeat pulses and got responses back. So it's in that sense, it's a little like a beacon and stuff like that. And I've watched a few people have some conversations on JS eight call, but there's, there's just so little traffic on JSA call. And he's, he said when we talked to him that uh, 20 and 40 meters are kind of where it's at. So that's where I was sitting. And there's, there's barely enough communication going on there to, for me to even want to keep it going, I guess. I mean, part of the problem is I'm at work and I don't necessarily want to be having a full blown QSO while I'm working, but I, I don't know. It's the whole thing seems a little bit cumbersome to me and I, and I kind of want to like it, but I, I've got, some more work to do to get there, I guess. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep plugging away at it. I, I want I want JSA call to be a part of my you know Lin, uh, Linux and ham radio experience and all that. But uh, it just hasn't been particularly exciting so far. So I guess I got more work to do to make something out of it. But at least I did get it working and it, it works well. And uh, tweaked a few of the the settings and stuff to make it sort of fit the way I I work on the air and stuff. So. Uh, getting the software up and, and going wasn't wasn't that big a deal. Um, I just got to get to the point where I actually enjoy the mode. So we'll see how long yeah, that you, takes. You had issues too with uh, your dual rig setup, didn't you? At one point, yeah. For some reason, it wasn't. I wasn't able to select between the. I wasn't able to get it to properly connect to the rig control demons, but so I don't remember if I just bypassed that and went straight to the USB ports, or if I actually got it to work the way it's supposed to. But wh- whichever thing I did, it's working. So <laughs> I, I think I actually got it to connect to recontrol D. I, I think it was basically just an issue where I had to reboot because something was just munged or whatever. And after the reboot, it was fine. So sounds like windows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Linux is becoming more like windows every day. Oh no. <laughs> the end is near. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been near for a while. What are we like two minutes to midnight or something? Uh, <laughs> the doomsday clock is ticking. The doomsday clock, yeah. Uh, don't, don't know where that's at. A bunch of eggheads stand in front of a fake clock and say, oh, it's six minutes to midnight, oh, whatever. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, when, when we aren't around for them to report on where the clock is, that's the problem. <laughs> I think that's all I've got for tonight. That's the end of our short topics and our short little editorializations and discussions about various things. So that means it's time to bring Cheryl back in here and run down through the social media roundup. All righty then. So this time for our Patreons, we have Jim Lawson, Patrick Ang, Douglas Schock, Eric Guth, Brandon Rosak, John Spriggs, Robert Lewis, Robert Pitts, Douglas Redder, David Jakeway, Darren King, Cubicle Nate, Erna Costales, Samuel Vimes, Peter Caffrey, Richard Gordon, Paul Griffith, Jonas Rulo, Donald Gover, Herb Garcia, Steve Sainer, Steve Metcalf, William Heckelman, Randolph Smith, and Andy Webster. For our subscriptions, we have Chris DeLuca, Andy Cowley, Chris Muller, uh, Carl Backus, Isaac Gear, Thomas Foy, Michael Burdak, Kevin Ivey, Tony Coberly, Ronald Ike, John Kinsey, excuse me, Johnny Kinsey, Peter Spots, Fred Cole, Bill Pewter, Jeffrey Boris, wow, Jeffrey Boris, I'm getting ahead of myself, 
Robert Halliday, Wayne Hill, John Clark, Steve Hepler, Michael Jopling, Roger Pereira, Howard Dittmer, Todd Bowers, Michael Carey, A. Taylor, Dylan Engel, Jim McKenzie, Bill Collins, Robert Black, Darren King, Randolph Smith, Robert Yerke, Steve Biella, Alan Wilson, Mark Farrell, and Jeff Zimmerman. On Facebook, we have Dan Murphy, Carmelo Luca Costa, Grant Fritz, and Mike Farmer. On Twitter, we have Prophet of Woe, or Prophet of Woe, at Gus Linux, and at SK Joldifer. We're just going to go with that. <laughs> On YouTube, we have Swath, or Swath, uh, Donald Libby, Steve Miller, Roland Jansen, Mohammed Norzam, H.J. Abbas, uh, Val- Valerie, I'm guessing, Mad Videf, uh, Broken Wind 2, and Jay Lejoy, still working on the mailing list, and there were no merchandise sales. Yep, that pretty much takes us down. I think I typoed, I think it's Mad Videf, not Mad Videf, but, <laughs> so, okay. yeah, what are you going to do? So that takes us down to the bottom. You know, I, I noticed that we had a bunch of people sign into the Discord today, so maybe we're going to have to start mentioning the people who joined the Discord. Maybe we should. Because we had four people just today. Your audio expert, Nine Angel, Mike Deal, and 7 urh and Amy D, KB9IQX, all joined the Discord just today. So that's cool. Thanks for being a part of the program and joining us on our social media network over there at Discord. And before we go, we should definitely mention the folks who are with us live in the chat room tonight. We had, I'm sure there are more people than this, but these are the only ones I know for sure were here. We had Don, KC9ZMY, The Menace, Ted, WA0EIR, Tony, K4XSS, and Steve, KA7HVT. Um, I suspect that uh, there were one or two others, if not more, but I can't be sure so you know it is what it is unless they want to like pop up like in the next five seconds and say hey who's here (laughs) we'll be be sure to mention you but with that being said we have come down to the end of the show all the topics have been covered and we hope that you will have a good week and tune in for the next episode which of course will be a deep dive which will be released recorded in thursday on thursday a few days from now and uh, released the following Monday. And I'm sure the topic will be exciting as soon as we figure out what it is. So stay <laughs> tuned for that. <laughs> and uh, anyway, have a great week, and we'll catch you for the next episode. This has been episode number 414 of Linux in the Hamshack. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73. Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. The show is recorded live every Thursday at 8pm Central Time, plus or minus QRL. Connect to the live stream at url.bcts.info stroke LHS live. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page at patreon.com stroke LHS podcast or by using the contribute list on the homepage. Get in touch via social media. 
we have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter and YouTube. Our IRC channel is hash NHS podcast on the Freenode network and the Discord invite link is url.bcts.info stroke discord. You can also drop us an email at info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at one nine oh nine LHS show. That's one nine oh nine five four seven seven four six nine. Visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show themed merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a local Linux convention or hamfest. Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info for more information or visit the homepage for details. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism.